Welcome to the Starting Line Church Sermons Podcast. Here at Starting Line Church, we are all about helping people embrace that there is more to life through Jesus. This sermon was first given at Starting Line Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Everyone, welcome to Starting Line Church. We are so glad that you are with us today on this cold and uh, rainy day, but you are here and inside warm, which is exciting. We are continuing um, our pivotal series. In this series, we have been walking through really the most pivotal moments that shaped the church as we know it today. And we find those moments um, in the book of Acts, where it documents the foundation and the spread of Christianity up until this point. So far, we've talked about, um, in the last couple weeks, we talked about how the early church, they uh, were committed to growing their faith in this authentic and genuine spiritual community. Zach last week walked us through Acts 8, where the church faced serious persecution, and it spread all over the place because of it. And last week, we talked about Saul's encounter with Jesus that changed his life and the church forever. As we begin our time together today, I want you to think about what the word unity looks like and feels like. How do you know it exists? Unity is the joining together of someone or something as one, right? It's being in it together. It's being on the same team. It's striving towards a common goal. As we know, so much more can be accomplished, right, in teams, in businesses, and even the body of Christ when unity exists. So in your mind, when we think about this, maybe at work, uh, you and your coworkers are unified, right, on getting a project done by a deadline. Maybe it's unity among a group of friends that love each other, that care about each other, that that are cheering each other on. Maybe it is for cheering on a common sports team, like our Browns that failed us this year. But we cheer on a common sports team, okay, team being unified in a desire and a game plan, to win a game, maybe it's becoming unified in marriage. I think it's pretty safe to say that we live in a world that could be described as anything but unified. Just name a topic, a food, a sports team, a person, and people on all sides of the spectrum are just ready to throw down. Right, division is at its all-time high. We, we honestly even live in a time where even Christians are separated and divided from one another. And I think that's because, well, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the reasons is because we think that being in unity means being exactly the same in every single way possible. If we're unified, then we have to think exactly the same way and we never have to disagree. But that's, that's not unity. Unity is putting aside preferences for the sake of the non-negotiable. Putting aside our preferences, our opinions, our kind of thoughts for the sake of the non-negotiable. It's moving forward together even when there's differences. Throughout the Bible, we see so much of how God values the importance of unity. And in Acts 10... We get to dive into this concept that became one of the most pivotal moments in the foundation of the Christian church. And I'm really excited to dive into it 
together. Our story begins today in a place called Caesarea with a man named Cornelius. This was uh, the Roman administrative center for Judea, and it was right on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, a man named Cornelius, he was stationed there um, as an officer in the Roman army. Specifically, he was a centurion, um, which was a commander who was in charge of a hundred other soldiers. And we know that uh, from previous stuff, we know that he was a devout and, and uh, feared God, loved God very much. He prayed regularly. He gave generously to those in need. And in our passage today, Cornelius, he has this unique moment with God that was part of God's greater plan for humanity when it came to the unity among Jesus' followers. We're going to pick up reading in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what happened and sent them to Joppa. If you were here last week, uh, we talked about how Saul's encounter with Jesus was drastic. It was, uh, when he was on the road to Damascus, it was drastic, it was abrupt, it was like really unbelievable. And so we see this, this similar moment here with Cornelius where God is trying to get his attention in this dramatic kind of way. And we see in this vision that Cornelius has, right, an angel of God told him he needed to go find this man named Simon Peter, who was a Jewish man and one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Cornelius didn't know who this was. He had no idea who this was. But God tells him, hey, go, go to Joppa and go find him and bring him back to stay at your house with you. Well, after this happens, we find out that Peter goes on his rooftop to pray And when he does, he also has this encounter with God. Let's read in verse 11. Peter saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated to him three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Okay, so before we dive into what this all means, okay, we have to realize that Peter was a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile, a patriotic Jew of that day like Peter. And and a Gentile in the Roman army like Cornelius would naturally not associate together. It would have been unacceptable for a Jewish man to enter the house of a Gentile. That was not how it went. But God, right, he's doing something so much bigger and greater than, like, this racial divide that exists at this time. 
And so he shares this vision with Peter that we just read, this weird and strange vision that makes us wonder what the heck is going on here. Before Jesus, okay, we, you had to be part of the Jewish nation to receive salvation because they were the ones that, that worshiped the one true God. And so because of that, the Jews kind of viewed everybody else as unsaved, as unclean. This meant that they didn't associate with people, right, that weren't Jewish. This also meant that they wouldn't, they weren't allowed to eat certain food because some, some of it was considered unclean. Things like birds and pigs and shellfish. Whether that was, we don't really know the full reason. It could have been because they just wanted to separate themselves from other people. Or it could be because they didn't really know how to properly use or properly prepare those things at that time. Regardless, they just didn't do it. But then all of a sudden, right, Peter has this vision And he's seeing like both food that satisfied the Jewish dietary law and this unclean food together as one. And Peter's like, what What is going on? Like, what does this mean? I'm confused. We even see his resistance in his response when he says, no way. Like, I've never done that. I'm not going to do that. If we keep reading, we would see that Peter's confused and he doesn't understand. And at the same time, in all this confusion, the Holy Spirit comes to him and he tells him that, hey, three men are looking for you. Go to your door and greet them. And he goes to his door and and, and these men, they tell him that Cornelius sent him, sent them and wanted him to come back to Cornelius' house. And, And Peter not only goes with them the next day, but he actually invites these men in to stay at his house for the night before they all go back. Now, none of this like may sound like a big deal to us, right? We're like, well, that, that seems okay. Like, cool, they're just being friendly. This was a big deal. This was a very big deal because people, the, these people that Peter invited into his home, they were, they were considered unclean by Jewish practice. This interaction and this attitude toward the Gentiles was like not what happened. Jews saw Gentiles as foreigners, as strangers to God, as defiled and having no access to the presence of God. No Orthodox Jew would have ever invited Gentiles into their home. This would not have, they would not have sat down at a table with them. They would not have befriended them. But by Peter entertaining these guests, he's, he's going off of all the customs, all the traditions, and breaking all the barriers because of what he heard God say to him. We finish reading in verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. It's at this moment that Peter realizes the dietary law that God sent to his people long ago for the purpose of Jews separating themselves from everybody else, has been replaced. It's over. It's done. 
Because now there is no such thing as Jew or Gentile. There is no such thing as worthy or unworthy. There is no such thing as clean or unclean. The separation and the division is gone. It's been abolished. Why? Because God is trying to show the world that through Jesus and his resurrection, he came to bring unity among all people. Jesus came to bring unity among all people. What does this mean? Jesus, right, who is fully God and fully human, left heaven, took on flesh to live among us, to walk with us on earth, to give, give his life for us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he placed the sins of the world on his shoulders so that we could walk in salvation when we accept Jesus as our Savior. Through his death, through his resurrection, the Jewish dietary laws that used to matter are are repealed because now things are fulfilled through Christ, not in those things. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life because salvation is not just extended to one group of people anymore, it's extended to everyone. Through Christ's sacrifice, he created this oneness, this togetherness, this unified team that the human race up until that point had never seen. This vision that Peter has, even though it's about food and there's all kinds of food and animals and all these things, it doesn't have anything to do with those things. It's to draw our attention to the important message in redemptive history where God reveals more of his plan to save the entire world and not just some of it. Galatians 3.28 says this. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse is one of the many examples where we're reminded that Jesus came to bring unity among all people, recognizing and declaring that he came and died for every single person in the human race, female, male, black, white, old, young, rich, poor, with a clean past or a really messy one too. And God's grace is extended to anyone who chooses to receive it. We want to be a church that celebrates and encourages and champions the fact that Jesus came to bring unity among all people. This unity in Christ that connects us, that bonds us together as followers of Jesus. In John 17, Jesus prays that we as followers of Jesus will be one just as him and the Father are one. So as Christians, right, we're, we're united with all the other believers all over the world. Jesus died so that we bec- could become one body, one family, one church. But what's interesting is that here we are 2,000 years-ish after this moment, and Christians are the most divided faith group on the planet. And every day it seems to get worse and worse. So we hear stuff like this, right? We see this, and we read this, and we see God's heart for unity, and we think, gosh, that just seems impossible. We're going to walk through really practical steps that aren't going to solve all of this, but can help us become people of unity. We can't control everybody. Like, you can't control somebody else, but we can control ourselves. 
So we're going to talk about three practical things that we can control to be unified and have unity in our lives. Number one, we have to know our identity. Point blank, from the beginning, we have to know our identity. If we want to strive for unity, we actually have to recognize that as believers, we are part of the family of God. Through Jesus, all of us who were once orphans can be adopted into the family of God as children of God. And when we start to look at people through that lens, when we start to see other Christians as having this identity too, we're going to start seeing them how God sees them. This divine moment that Peter experiences here showed him that his relationship with God wasn't just for him. It wasn't just for the people who were like him. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for like the, those he thought that deserved it. People who were once labeled as Jew or Gentile were now finding their identity in belonging to Jesus, being a child of God. That was it. Not in their race, not in their culture, not in their status, not in what they did for a living. None of that mattered. So in order to strive for unity, we have to know and stand in our identity in Christ as Christians. Number two, we have to focus on the goal. Some of us maybe are goal-oriented, some of us maybe aren't. That's okay. But our goal as Christ followers should be that our life should be a reflection of Jesus so that other people can come to know him through us. That is the goal. Our, as believers, we should be unified all over the world, unified around that common goal, trying to make the name of Jesus known in our lives and wanting other people to experience the love of Jesus that we have experienced if we call ourselves Christians. So the reality is, like, we get worked up about so many things, right? If we're getting worked up about all kinds of other things in the church and we're not focused on the goal of, like, reflecting Jesus, that's a problem. One of my favorite phrases is, uh, keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing in our faith is the gospel story of what Jesus has done for humanity. That's the main thing. Think about Thanksgiving dinner, okay? We're going to go back a couple months to November here. Think about Thanksgiving dinner. When you're preparing Thanksgiving dinner, you have the main dish, right? Most likely that's like turkey, I guess for some it could be ham, or I don't know, chicken, whatever you people eat, but like, it's okay, you have the main dish, and then you have all these other side dishes, right? You've got mashed potatoes, you got the vegetables, you got the rolls, the casseroles, the pies. The side dishes, okay, are very, very important. Are they not? Yes, they are, okay? They're very important, but they're not the main dish. And if all you eat on Thanksgiving is pumpkin pie and that's all you eat, uh, you're probably not going to feel very good like the rest of the day. There's so many topics and truths that matter to the Christian faith. They matter. Things that we should be discussing in relationship with one another and standing up for. But the main thing is that Jesus died and rose again to save the world. And if we cannot focus on that as the main goal and be unified in that, that's where we go wrong. Number three, we have to have healthy dialogue. 
Healthy dialogue. Both words are important. Like we said at the beginning, uh, we sometimes think, I, I think that we think like unity looks like being agreeable, right? Not standing up for anything, like not really caring about what the Bible says, remaining quiet. When I said that's not unity. Like that, that's not it. Like we think, oh, whatever is true or whatever feels right for you is good for me. Like anything's good. No, right? God, God hates sin. We know that because God or sin put Jesus on the cross. So that thinking just doesn't really, with no accountability, can't be true. But on the other hand, sometimes we think we need to get like angry and hateful and start spewing all this truth wherever and whenever and to whoever with no tact or discernment. Right? Both of those things are problematic. So not to do those things, we have to have this healthy dialogue. I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but people will disagree with you. They will. They will disagree with you. You probably already know that. Like, that's not, no one's ever going to agree with every single thing that you have to say. And if we yell, avoid, fire back, or refuse to have healthy dialogue, honestly, like, that's going to hurt us. That's going to hurt our relationships. And that's not reflecting Jesus. So if we have to realize that, like, when we disagree, when we have an issue, whether it's with Christians or not, we have to have this healthy dialogue about it that involves accountability and, and honesty and listening and, and respect. And this is, the, that's, this is the whole sermon of itself, okay? We could do a whole series on that. But for now, this broad level understanding is we have to learn how to have healthy dialogue when we disagree, not if. Because God commands us to strive for unity in our relationships and in the church. Uh, we at Starting Line Church, um, we are part of a network here in Cleveland called the Kingdom Collective. And uh, it's a group of churches that we would say are like-minded in ministry. Um, there are churches in Berea, Lakewood, Cleveland, us here in North Ridgeville. Um, and what's awesome is that those churches... Like, don't look the same. None of them look the same. None of them do ministry the same way. Do we do church very differently? Yes. But do we value similar things? And is God using both of us in, our uni- in all of us in our unique situations? Yes. We're unified on the big things. Right, so we celebrate each other and we check in on each other and we meet together and we pray with one another and we get real. One of those pastors, he just called me like last week just to check in and see how I was doing. We do ministry very differently, but we're unified as one. Our story this morning paints this incredible picture of how we as Christians are to live towards unity, whether that's in the church, whether that's in our relationships. Like, if we aren't unified, then surely the rest of the world isn't going to be unified. But this, this image this morning paints this incredible picture that Jesus came to bring unity to all people. So we get to reflect that in our lives, to live with other people in mind, <clears throat> to embrace that life is so much bigger than ourselves and our own problems. And my prayer is that we can rally around this belief that what unifies us, the main thing, is that Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again so that we could live. 
and that we would remember that what bonds us together is that so we can share the message of hope with the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for creating us for relationship. God, that's what this whole gospel is about. You loved us enough to be in relationship with us so that we can go be in relationship with one another. God, we pray for this spirit of unity in our lives. God, we pray for a spirit of unity in the church worldwide. God, I pray for our hearts, that we would recognize these things, that we would know our identity, that we would focus on the main thing, and that we would have strength and boldness to have healthy dialogue in our lives. God, I pray that we would recognize that through your death and resurrection, you came to bring unity among us. So God, I pray that you would continue to do that in our lives and that we would continue to respond to who you are in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Starting Line Church or to help support our ministry here, check us out at www.startingline.church.